afternoon once again. It's my pleasure to be with you again to lead our talks with respect to our Bible study for Estate Baptist Church at Besson. It's been a wonderful time together in the last few weeks or months that we've been discussing on the topic facing your giants. And it's my prayer that as we round up today, the Lord Himself will help us to be able to see how we can take over and take and conquer the enemy. Pray the Lord will bless us in Jesus' name. Shall we have a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you once again because you have made it possible for us to gather as the people of God. Thank you because you are already here in our midst to lead us and to guide us by the Spirit. Thank you for the truth that sets free. And today, Lord, we pray once again you will reveal to us yourself that as we see you will become like you and the glory of your victory will be ours indeed in Jesus' name. For everyone who will be watching, for everyone who will be listening, Lord, we pray let there be divine intervention for deliverance and for victory over the attacks and assault of the enemy. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Amen again. Thank you once again. I'm so glad to be here with you. To be doing this, I consider this a great opportunity and I want to thank God for the leadership of the church for giving me this opportunity to do this in the last two months or more. And so today we want to conclude on the topic um, facing your giant and this is a part nine that we are looking at today and so we have looked at a number of things in the past we have looked at um, the character of giants we have looked at the call to be giant killers the characteristics of giant killers we have looked at casualties we have looked at confronting the enemy and we are today looking at conquering the enemy how do we conquer how do we really put all these things together and begin to walk in the victory that God has ordained for us. And it's my prayer that you will not be a victim and that you would be able at the end of the day and when Jesus comes to receive the crown for the victory that God has helped you to win through the help of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Pray that will be our portion and our testimony in Jesus' name. So today, I want to look at conquering the giants. Conquering the giants. And then we will be taking our text from 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. So you can open your Bibles and read along with me as we go together into the Word of God. It says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so we want to thank God for this passage of the Bible. And the Lord is reminding us of the need to stand firm. Sometimes we think we are standing firm, but we are not standing firm. Sometimes when these topics like this are discussed, people feel that uh, I already know all this and I can, I'm already standing. But if you check very well, you will find some cracks, some loopholes in your life that the enemy is capitalizing on. And so these studies have come to help you do a quick check on your life. Do a, you know, and a, an oversight over your life and see where possibly something has gone wrong and you can put them right again. Because the enemy has but a short time and he has come with great fury. He will not, he will not permit you 
to play around and go scot-free. He will take advantage of every moment. So let us also stand up to him. And so that's the word of God. God says there is nothing you are going through that he is not there to help. The question is, are you asking for God's help? Are you ready to open up so that God can come to your aid as at the time you need him? Remember that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice he will, and opens the door, he said, I will come in and I will stop with him. So it is important for us to know that if we do not invite the Lord, if we do not partner or cooperate with his spirit as he leads us, then we may not be able to have access to those things that will make out for our victory in this spiritual warfare. And so by way of introduction, I've said earlier that we are rounding up the Bible study for today. And um, it is important that we put everything that we have been learning to use, because that is where the real victory lies. To learn things and not put them to use is to waste our time, and much more to waste God's time. But I believe we are not wasting God's time. We are actually doing a lot of things to equip ourselves, to enlighten ourselves, and to help ourselves to be effective in this victory that God has given to us in our spiritual warfare against the devil. And so it's important because James reminds us that we should not be doers of the we should not be hearers of the word alone, but we should be doers also, because it is in the doing that the blessing lies. If we just take time, if we are just interested in just learning, then we are not different from Pharisees who just knew so much but yet could not put them to use. And so we, we, we must have a change of heart, we must repent from such attitude and decide that these things we are learning we must put them to use. Because Jesus himself said in John 13, 17, he said, if you know these things, blessed are ye if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so the blessing lies in our doing of it. Our greatest victory lies in our responsive actions to biblical revelations of Jesus Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. Because biblical revelations are live ammunitions. Many times people talk about revelation in our world today and the truth is that we just talk about it, we get excited about it, but really never do anything with it. Remember that one of the seeds that fell on the ground in the parable of the sower, Jesus said he was excited, he, was, he represents people who were excited about receiving the word, but they did not have so much uh, earth so that they could not grow roots to stand well and so the sun came and scorched them. And so there are people like that, we get so excited about revelation but we really never know how we can use them to our advantage. And so Jesus does not want us only to get excited about revelation but to use them as live ammunitions against the devil. Jesus said we should speak the word. Whatever we say, if we believe from our heart to be like that. And even if we have to command the mountain to leave his position, Jesus said it is possible. And so it's important for us to note that the promised land is still there for us. God still has a plan for the promised land for each of us and collectively as the body of Christ. And so we must keep our focus. He has a promised land for us individually and for us as a church, both on this earth and in eternity. Jesus said that as many people who have left all to follow him, they will reap hundredfold on this side of eternity and on the other side. So God has something for you here before you leave. So don't miss any of the two. Don't miss the one here, don't miss the one on the other side. So ensure that you are where you should be so that you can take advantage of it. Giants are still in existence. As long as your promised land that is in existence, as long as your promised land is before you, giants also are still there. So you must take note to ensure that you are ready to engage them in battle. And also we must understand that spiritual warfare is inevitable. So if there's a promised land, there's a giant, it means spiritual warfare is inevitable and you and I must stand up to fight in the name of the Lord. 
the battle is not us, the battle is the Lord's. And the Lord who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. So we are ready to take on the enemy and to ensure that the victory that has been guaranteed to us becomes ours in reality. It's not enough for us to just have a promise. We must have the reality of the promise. And that is what God guarantees to us when he gave us the Holy Spirit. That in us and through us we shall continually see the manifestation of the power of God as we defeat the enemy consistently. Everything is set up by God to put us in favor and against our enemy. God has put everything ahead of us. He has put everything around us to help us so as to win in this battle. We are not at disadvantage. So that is why you must not be afraid of the enemy. Don't ever be afraid of the enemy. As long as we are ready to listen to the instructions of the Holy Ghost as he leads us on a daily, in a daily walk with him, you can be sure that victory is guaranteed. Because Romans 8.31 assures us, if God be for us, who shall be against us? So in conquering the enemy, we must realize that victory is real, so also is defeat. Victory is real. Victory over the enemy is a real thing. If you have ever been in confrontation with the enemy, you will understand what it means to be in the battle. But I want to assure you that that which you are going through, there is a victory that has been promised. And that victory is a reality that you can partake of. So also is the defeat in that same situation. But the choice is always yours for you to take, you know, to take your decision on which one you want to partake of. You have to choose which one you want to partake of. And how do you do that? By choosing whom you obey. Whom you obey will determine your, the outcome, will determine the eventual victory that you have, whether it is a victory or it will be a, de a defeat. Then also one of the things that will determine your choice of who or what the outcome of your life will be like, whether victory or defeat, is that what knowledge you seek to pursue. If you are interested in reading newspapers all the days of your life and not the Bible, then you are putting yourself at a disadvantage and making yourself a victim of the enemy. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. So the kind of knowledge you pursue, whether intellectual knowledge or spiritual knowledge, will determine the outcome of the victory of your life. And also the strategy you choose to use. If you decide to fight from the flesh, Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But there are still some Christians who are ignorant and they are trying to fight from the flesh. But Paul said we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. So we must fight by faith, we must fight in the spirit. So the victory of God in Jesus Christ is revealed in three characteristics. And that is righteousness, joy, and righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost takes over our lives, these are the three manifestations that people see in our lives. They see the righteousness of God in us. They see a life that is not dependent on how much he is able to do for himself but a life that is totally dependent on God in the place of prayer and the word of God. They also see a life that is peaceful, a life that is not in conflict with himself, not in conflict with the people around and not even with the world that he lives in. And also they see a life that is joyful in spite of the situation or circumstance, even in, the situ even in difficult situations, trying situations, tribulations, that art is still joyful because the Holy Ghost is in charge and his source of his joy is not coming from anything around, it's not coming from the happenings, it's coming from the very presence of God where the river, eternal river of joy, river of life flows from. So it's important that these three things are in our lives if truly we want to enjoy the victory of God. If you are not experiencing these three dimensions according to Romans 14, 17 which says that the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, it is in righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I prophesy to your life and to your home that truly after this study, you will enjoy these three 
benefits, these three blessings of heaven in the name of Jesus. And they will no longer elude you because you will find joy, you will find peace, and you will, you will walk in the righteousness and ask the righteousness of God in the name of Jesus. So we want to look at certain mindsets and attitudes that you and I need to have as we round up this topic. We want to look at certain mindsets and attitudes that you and I need to have if truly we want to stand in that victory that God has given to us. If truly we want to take hold of it, if truly we want the victory to become a lifestyle, not something that, we, that happens once in a while, you understand? But a victory that is true, that is, that is persistent, consistent, a victory that puts the enemy at bay and puts the enemy in a position where he's constantly defeated, then you need this mindset, you need this attitude. And as we consider them by prayer, is that the Lord will open our eyes and will help us to put them to use in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. And so we look at the first one, which is walking by the Spirit. Or walking in the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. We look at Galatians 5, 16. And I'll read quickly from there for us to see what the Bible says. It says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The Bible admonishes us that if we walk by the Spirit, if we desire to develop the character of Jesus Christ by walking in the Spirit, then we can be sure that we will maintain our victory over the enemy. We will maintain our victory over the enemy. Now, sometimes we have made walking in the Spirit look spooky. We have made walking in the Spirit look as if it is a mystical thing, whereas it is actually it's a mystery, it's a divine mystery, no doubt, but it is not mystical like some people make it look like. And so many times it's because of this that many Christians are unable to differentiate uh, a foreign spirit from the Holy Spirit. John, 1 John 4 tells us, gives us some ways by which we can discern the difference between the foreign spirit at work and the Holy Spirit at work in an individual. The Bible even told us to test every spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5. And so it's important that we know that. But what I want to say is that walking in the spirit is developing the character of Jesus Christ as we follow, follow the spirit's leading through the study of God's word and in the place of prayer. So there are, there are measurable things, practical things that helps us to connect with the Holy Spirit. Walking with the Spirit is by faith. It's not by human senses. It's not by our intellect. not by our brilliance. It is by faith. And so prayer and the study of the Word of God are activities that connect us to the reality of the walking and operation of the Spirit in our lives. So that people cannot just come from nowhere without reading the Bible, without spending time with God in the place of prayer through the Word. They cannot just come and begin to say the Spirit of God is saying something. How does it say something when you cannot even gauge whether it is the Holy Spirit or a foreign spirit that is speaking. 
So I repeat that again. Walking in the Spirit is developing the character of Jesus Christ as we follow His Spirit leading, His Spirit leading through the study of God's word and in the place of prayer. So when we look at people that say they are growing in the Spirit, they are walking in the Spirit over a period of time, and we can't see the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to question the the Spirit that is really walking in them. And so it's important. You and I must develop the character of Jesus. And as it is, as it is mentioned here, they have given us love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control, and patience. These are the nine yeah, fruits of the Spirit that you and I need to develop as we walk in the Spirit. It is not just for you to be performing miracles, or those are gifts of the Spirit. It's not just for that, but God is actually God actually has an ultimate plan to make us like Himself. And it is as we become like Jesus that our victory becomes a reality. Someone said, victory begins with the nature of God in our heart, but it's not consummated until the, until, the, until the nature of Jesus is formed in our lives. It begins in our heart, but it must be formed in our character. It must be formed in our behavior. It must be obvious. We said that all the armor of God, all the weapons of war that we are using, that the Bible describes in Ephesians 6, all of them represent Christ. And what the Bible was basically telling us is that until we become like Christ, our victory will not be perfect. Our victory will not be complete. And that is why when Jesus appears in the cloud and the, the second coming, all of us will be translated and transported by the Holy Spirit to meet be with him and to become one with him. And so when we are one with Christ, nothing can defeat us again. So while we are still on earth, we are developing the character, Christ-like characters through the fruit of the Spirit. That's the number one. Number two is walking as unto the Lord, not as unto men. That's another thing that can keep us in the path of victory that we have, we have received from Jesus Christ by faith. And Colossians 3.23 tells us here that Slaves obey your earthly master in everything and do it not only when their eyes is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. We must be careful not to be people pleasers. That is one of the things that take away our victory from us. That is one of the things that take away our peace from us. That is one of the things that take our joy away from us. That's one of the things that make us feel less of, uh, of an individual before God. When we begin to play, uh, depend on what people say about us. When we begin to make people, put people in the position of God or idolize them. Work has come to God. God wants us to submit to authorities. He wants us to submit to our leaders. They are his representative. But we must work for, go for them as unto the Lord. Because that is the only way we will not allow whatever they do, even their mistakes, to play out in our lives. If we look at the African Christianity today, we have made ourselves slaves to so many men of God. And you will wonder, you will wonder when you look at the internet, a number of things that men of God are telling people to do. And without questioning, they are doing them. People are eating snakes, eating grass, digging the tall, and all these things. If these people see God as the ultimate and men of God as the medium, then they will not, they will be willing to question them when they tell them to do this. Or refer them to the scriptures to ask them where they got such instructions. But you see, when we live out the word of God and when we make men become like God, then we are going to become victims of men who are ignorant of God or men who are the devil's agent of manipulation and destruction. So please, placing priority on the word of God is very, very important. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Don't make your pastor a master. Your pastor is a representative of God. What a representative means is represent. It means represent. Represent. He has seen God. He is now representing God to you. He is not meant to represent himself. 
He's not meant to represent his personality because all things have passed away. Everything about him has passed away. And so the only thing left is that of Christ. And that Christ is what he should bring out. The word should become flesh and people behold the glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. The third thing we need to take note of is waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. These things are very critical and I want us to take note of them. Waiting on the Lord. We find this very important because as Christians, um, things will always happen in God's time and in God's way. It will always happen in God's time and God's way. Now, while the Bible permits us to ask, seek, and knock according to Matthew 7, 7, it also gives us the story of the persistent widow in Luke 18. If you read from verse 1 to 8, you see that Jesus talked about a woman who went to a job to seek uh, that they would intervene in her case uh, where concerning some of the properties that she was to inherit. And the woman came to the judge and the judge did not bother about this woman, but the woman bothered the judge. And bothered the judge until the judge responded. Now the woman continued, persisted, and that's what's important for us as Christians. We must learn to wait on the Lord. The kind of Christianity we are, we are selling out to people today is making them feel that if they can't get it instantly, then that means God is not functional, your God is not functional. So a number of people are just changing jobs as if Christianity was a career. And they are changing jobs. They leave this church and go to this church because it's not working here, it's working there. And a number of pastors have added some things to their own uh, ministry that is making it work, which is not of God. And so if you don't want to become a victim of Satan, where he will begin to make a mincemeat of your life, stay where God has planted you. The Bible says those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in his courts. He said, even in old age, they will be fruitful. That is the promise of God to them. And if he says, even in old age, it means they would have waited for him in that place. They would have been fruitful and functional for him in that place for a long time. So it is very, very important that we understand, according to Isaiah 40, 31, which says, but those who will wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, it takes time for you to wait, and that is what God is doing. What God is doing is that he's weakening your flesh and he's allowing the word of God to renew and to work on your mind. And that is what waiting does. Waiting begins to kill our agitation, the agitation of the flesh, and begins to bring the spirit to the place where it comes alive. Waiting is very essential for us as Christians, and there are many things in life that we would need to wait for. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, there is time for everything. And so if there is time, God expects you to wait for it. So the Bible says in Habakkuk 2, and it says, uh, the two one and two. He said the vision, write the vision upon, make it plain upon tables. Write it down, make it plain upon tables. Let him that read, the drone read it. Said because it will come to pass. Though it may tarry, but it will definitely come to pass. Abaku said at the end of the uh, book that he will wait upon the Lord. He will trust in the Lord and he will wait on him. The fourth thing we need to notice: waging war against iniquity and indiscipline. Waging war against iniquity and indiscipline. And our Bible text is taken from Hebrews. 12.1, Hebrews 12.1, we are familiar with that. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we should throw down every sin and every weight. Sin and weights, they, they, they constitute a hindrance, they constitute a stumbling block and obstacle. Remember in the days of Wari when he came at the end of state, head of state, we remember that he brought an initiative war against his discipline. And we knew how this used, uh, was able to put people in check, even though they had to use some undemocratic means. And today our own why is war against iniquity and 
in discipline, or rather, waging war against iniquity and discipline. It is very, very important that we understand how to deal with those issues in our lives, things from the past, mistakes in the present, and you know, things that can bring us back, things that can cause us to begin to, you know, to have to develop guilty conscience, fears, and things that can bring about, um, you know, condemnation to our hearts. We must deal with them. The blood of Jesus is available. We've talked about that last two weeks and last week. Use it to your advantage. Don't let the devil belabor your heart with sins that ought to have, that have already been forgiven in Christ, if only you will receive the forgiveness. So deal with those issues. Wage war against iniquity. Don't give iniquity an opportunity to thrive in your life. Don't let the seed of iniquity thrive in your life. The Bible says, while men slept, the enemy planted tears. Don't give yourself to too much sleeping where the enemy can come in and intervene and alter the plan of God for your life. You must be at the last. You are a soldier of war. Very, very important. I pray the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. You and I have the responsibility to make our calling and election sure. And so we must be, must be at the last. We must be at the last to wage war against any means and any way the enemy will want to come at us in our, you know, in our... Uh, our state of uh, being indisposed, our state of not being active, the devil can come and try to sow some seeds and tears in our lives and we must be very careful. Number five is waking up to the reality of eternity. Waking up to the reality of eternity and we will read in 1 Timothy, Timothy uh, 4.12 1 Timothy 4.12 or 1 Timothy 6, 6.12 612. It says that um, fight a good fight of faith, take hold of it of the eternal life to which you were called, which when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You and I must understand the reality of eternity. One thing I said here is that the clarity of our identity as Christians is defined by our focus of eternity. When Christians lose sight of eternity, when they lose sight of eternity, then you can tell why they are doing what they are doing that contradicts the word of God. You know, Paul said that while we look not at the things which are seen because they are things which are seen are temporary, we look at the things which are not seen because they are permanent. Paul says we hope in Romans 8. He said hope that the sin is not hope because what you have seen, why do you yet hope for it? So when people talk about prosperity and they are relating it to the physical things of this world, the physical things that you can lay hold of easily, they tell me, how can you now still be hoping for something that you already have? The hope that the Bible gives us is the hope of the second coming, is the hope of our adoption. And so we know that until we get it, we will never be truly be free from the bondage of this world. No prosperity of this earth can ever free you from the bondage of this world. It is only the divine prosperity of our adoption that can do that for us. So wake up to the reality of eternity. Apostle Paul considers it to be a miserable experience when people are without the, the understanding of eternity or the knowledge of eternity, or when, people, when Christians are not focused on, it, or focused on eternity, he said, if there is no resurrection, we are of all men most miserable, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Very, very important, because lack of eternal perspectives retard our spiritual development and reveal the shallowness of our faith. So please, it is important. Our eternal destination is real. It is your choice to decide where you want to spend it. It's your choice. Number six says, watching for the Lord's second coming. Watching for the Lord's second coming. I love what Peter says here, and I'm going to read it from 2 Peter 3, 11 to 14. Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. You and I are looking forward to a home of righteousness and Christ is the one that will usher it in when he comes again to pick us, when he comes again to complete and perfect our salvation. And so when Christians are constantly looking forward to this, their life in the present will be always be considered in the light of eternity. The Bible calls us strangers. Abraham's and the forefathers and patriarchs regarded themselves as strangers. They were not, they didn't see this earth as something they could possess. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 13 to 16 that they look forward to a better country, a heavenly one, and God is not ashamed to prepare one for them. God is not ashamed to have prepared one for us in Christ Jesus. There's a heavenly Jerusalem waiting for us. But one thing is important, how many of us still has that orientation, that consciousness as we speak? In the midst of the COVID events, in the midst of the lack, in the midst of the hunger virus, in the midst of the corruption, in the midst of all that is happening, how many of us still has the joy of looking forward to the second coming of Christ and saying, come Lord Jesus, come. We have been engrossed in the activities, in the politics, and in the fear and the likes that have taken over our environment that a number of us have been blinded from the reality of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus said, if the gospel, Paul said, if the gospel be hid, it is hid from those whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they will not come to salvation. Brethren, our salvation has, made, has scaled the first order. The second order is the second coming. And each of us must prepare ourselves to receive our Savior, to meet our Savior, and to be translated into His likeness. Number seven is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. The truth is the devil will try to penetrate us. The devil will try to attack. The devil will try to assault us. He will try to use every means to penetrate our hearts. But one thing we must realize is that we can safeguard our lives, we can fortify ourselves by worship. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, we can safeguard our lives and we can fortify ourselves. Worship is a spiritual intercourse. The same way a man and a woman meets to give birth to a child, worship is the process in the spirit that we come together and become one with God. You can even see that the template was brought down from the spiritual to the physical, and that's why we have marriage. Marriage is just a picture of the relationship that exists between the possibility of relationship that can exist between God and man in the higher plane, in the higher dimension. And so God, we become one with God when we worship Him, when we recognize His Lordship. It's just like a woman who submits to her husband. The submission of the woman brings recognition to the role of the husband. Our own submission to God in the place of worship also brings recognition to the role of God as the owner, creator, redeemer, and sustainer of our lives. Very, very important. Please, let's take note of that. Spiritual worship must be based on revelational knowledge and guided by the Holy Spirit to be effective. When we look at worship today, we are not saying that we should be like the Pharisee, we should make everything so mechanical, but we are saying spiritual worship should be guided, should be knowledge-based, and should be guided by the Holy Spirit. We must worship God as we have seen people in the scriptures worshiping God. We must respond to God. We are not supposed to copy other people to worship God. We are meant to respond 
from our heart. And that's why we must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24 says those who, those who will worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. We must respond to God from our heart. People stand in church and they are singing and the person is standing as if God is his mate. You need to respond with the whole of your heart. Let everything that has bread praise the Lord. That includes your spirit, your soul, and your body. Every part of you must reverberate with the praises of God. If angels and creatures all over, with eyes all over their bodies are bowing down before him continually, who are you? In the state of your, in your limited state that you cannot worship the king of kings. So I want to say here also that style, sound, and skill in the place of worship are secondary. Sometimes some of our contemporary generation of Christians have felt that if you don't worship with the way they are worshiping it today, in, with the style, the, the tone they use, the way they slow, and all these things in musical instruments, people have been worshiping God before there was a musical instrument. And musical instrument is an enhancement. It doesn't qualify for acceptable worship. It is the heart. Worship has always been and will always be of the heart. So please let us release our heart to God so that we can, we can usher us into a realm of perpetual victory. Because the realm of worship is the realm of perpetual victory. Look at Joseph as he went to war. The realm of worship is the realm of perpetual victory. So please, I pray the Lord will help us in all this in Jesus' name. So the questions are, what are the mindsets that we need to develop in order to conquer the enemy? And the second one is, what mindsets have you changed in the course of this teaching? Or what mindsets are you willing to change in order for you to experience the victory that God has prepared for you in Jesus Christ? So please let us consider and contemplate those questions. As we contemplate them, the Lord will open our eyes and we shall be enlightened to see more of areas that has not been addressed in Jesus' name. So our conclusion read those. Brethren, the battle is in our minds. We must develop the right mindsets and attitudes towards the victory we have been promised. Sometimes everything seems dark and unbearable with evil and, will, and darkness closing in on us. But if we hold on to God by leaving out the truth that we believe, victory will never elude us. Don't be scared by the enemy. The victory is already ours, it's already yours, it's already mine. And in due time, it will manifest. And in the name of Jesus, it will manifest for you in Jesus' name. Our prayers is, Heavenly Father, fortify my mind for the battle to resist the enemy in the name of Jesus. Number two, Heavenly Father, help me to develop the right attitude for readiness for my victory in Jesus' name. And number three, Heavenly Father, strengthen my focus on you that my victory will be perfected at your coming in Jesus' mighty name. I pray even as we put this to use, the Lord will bless us. And as Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And I pray you will be doers and not hearers in in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because indeed you have heard us, you have spoken to us, and you have helped us to come to the place of understanding of the victory you have accomplished already in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, even as we position ourselves to take our place and to take what rightfully belongs to us in Christ, Father, we pray we shall not be hindered in any way. And paradventure, if we are, we ask for grace, O Lord, and wisdom to overcome every assault and attack from the pit of hell in Jesus' name. You have said we are more than conquerors, and you have said that if you be for us, who will be against us? Therefore, we stand as we stand, O Lord, and declare that every enemy that comes like a flood, you will raise a standard against them in the name of Jesus. You will deliver victory to us, and we shall walk, O Lord, upon the high places of our victory in Christ in the name of Jesus. 
Thank you because as many who are enslaved, as many who are in bondage, Father, we command them loosed in the name of Jesus. As many who have been tormented and afflicted, we declare, Lord, they are loosed in the name of Jesus. And affliction will not rise again in Jesus' name. As many who have been terrorized, as many whom the enemy is not allowing to have, is not is, is causing to have sleepless nights, today we declare divine intervention in the name of Jesus. Your church will arise again. Your people will arise again. Our families will arise again. And we shall take our place and win the victory that you have already possessed for us in Jesus' name. Thank you because you have answered. In Jesus' mighty name, we are praying. So thank you. The Lord bless you as we see next week. Thank you.